Hello, and welcome to IBM Developer. I'm your host, Luke Schantz. In this episode of our Origin Stories interview series, we're going to be talking to Rosalind Radcliffe, an IBM Distinguished Engineer and Chief Architect for DevOps in Z Systems. Hello, Rosalind. Hello. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat. Maybe just to kick it off, give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners. So, as was said, Rosalind Radcliffe, a distinguished engineer, IBM, currently working in the DevOps space. I've been in IBM eh, 30, almost 33 years now, and I've worked on almost everything there is in IBM from a development perspective. I've spent time in development, test, S&D, actually, services, numbers of different things in and around mostly Z, though spent a lot of time in the distributed space as well. And I enjoy helping our clients and helping drive IBM technology to the best for our clients. So the reason we got connected for this interview was because you're going to be one of the keynote speakers at the upcoming Cloud Native Security Conference. What's your talk going to be about? As always, it's all about Z. Well, cloud native and ZOS development, trying to bring those worlds together so that people can see that they're actually not so separate and not so different. And from a DevSecOps perspective, making sure people actually consider security when it comes to their backend systems, which you know, everybody says security by obscurity or security because it's behind the firewalls, but yeah, that's not really true. So let's let's follow the same DevSecOps principles when it comes to our Z stuff. So just to give some context for our listeners who may not be familiar with these, before we get to the origin story, maybe just a, a quick, what, what are Z systems? IBM Z, for those of you that don't know what it is, those are the mainframe systems that run the world. They are the systems that provide the back-end processing for the banks, the insurance companies, the large retailers, minus one, and uh, most airlines, trains, transportation, federal government. It's those big systems that everybody complains about that run COBOL and, and those kinds of things that many people call dinosaurs or call old. Really, they're actually the most modern hardware around. They ship new machines or we ship new machines on a regular basis, but they have been around for a long time. And one thing that's special about IBM Z is anything you've ever written and compiled and are running on IBM Z, it still works. So yes, you compiled a program 40 years ago or 50 years ago, it will still run. And that's a, a blessing and a curse. That means everything has to still work that way. But those big systems, they do high transaction throughput, guaranteed reliability. If you really want to look it up, they can now support seven nines for transaction reliability. It's, it's those kinds of systems that I work in and around. I imagine most everyone these days is familiar with DevOps, but you mentioned uh, DevSecOps. So maybe a little context around that. So DevOps is a great Twitter handle from the standpoint of Dev and Ops and bringing them together. And in many ways, that's where it sort of started. But Really, we need to remember the purpose of DevOps is to bring everybody together in the entire business. And it really should be biz, dev, sec, 
QA in ops or something like that. But the term DevSecOps is coming up because people are forgetting security. And in this new world that we live in, especially in the cloud and the distributed space, security is at the core and is needed to be considered. It can't be an afterthought. It has to be part of the process. And so DevSecOps reminds everybody that security is in there. Security has to be there from the beginning. Well, it really resonates because, you know, in the past, like you said, oh, just put it behind the firewall. But now the way applications are designed in this hybrid multi-cloud world, the attack surface and the vulnerability is is everywhere. I mean, it's down to the device, to the, you know, the cloud center, to the on-premises. It's, and you can't, you can't just bolt that on afterwards, right? Absolutely. And you have to worry about not only attacks from outside, but insider threats you need to worry about the fact the system needs to be secure. It, it always scares me when I hear stories about somebody got a set of data and I sit there and go, but why wasn't it encrypted? Why wasn't it, why did they have access to it? it they're just all sorts of things that it's like, you know, in today's world, there are lots of options. There's lots of things. So let's keep security forefront. I think we're all on the same page now. I'd love to, to move on to the origin story portion of our, of our interview. So my question for you is, you know, if we, if we rewind back to like the beginning, whether it's childhood or adolescence, what were some of those early things that clicked? Maybe it was math class. Maybe it was playing video games. What, what started you on this path that you've, you're on today? Yeah, uh, yeah, so video games were not in my youth. Uh, you remember I said something about starting 33 years ago? You know, the personal computer didn't exist. I started at a different time. We didn't have computers easily accessible. We didn't have the technology that my, my children have grown up with. We didn't have any of these things. So math, science, those were of great interest. I did have, was lucky and got access to not what you'd call a personal computer, but access to a, actually what would have been an IBM mainframe that my school system ran. And that's how we could do early development. Uh, we built a Space Invaders on a teletype machine. And if you don't know what a teletype machine is, go look it up. You, you, you would never imagine Space Invaders on a teletype machine, but that's what we had. That's what we did. We did get Apple IIs a little later when I was in high school and, and could do those kinds of things. So it was an interest, but it was easy. And so it was easy. And from my perspective, if it's easy and fun, why not do it? And so I spent a, you know some time in school doing that. And then when I got to college, it seemed to be, though my friends who went to the same school I did might actually object to this. It seemed to be the easiest path. Yeah, I you know that doesn't sound right, but from my perspective, since it was so much fun, it was the easy path. And so I, I did computers and, and had fun with it. That's interesting uh, point there too, right? Like I, I like that because, you know, it, it is all relative, right? So for, for one person, this could have been difficult and especially because it wasn't established, right? It's, it wasn't like there, like today there's this clear path of, hey, you can go to a boot camp and have a job in, you know, six months or something. Whereas then it was obviously a, a, a mystery or you didn't have this guarantee of, oh, I'm going to have a, a great tech career. 
Well, there wasn't a tech career. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that didn't exist. This was, this was, yeah, this was before all of this. There were computers, but they weren't in people's houses. They were just starting to be in people's houses. The, the personal computer was the 1980s. It, you really, there's a different perspective, but it, it was fun. I, I could logically think about programming. It logically made sense. And it was something very different. And I come from a very literate household, English professor, father of medieval studies and a school teacher, mother, or preachers and teachers, as my family would say, because that's what they all are. So getting into this field was totally different. It gave me a, a way to get away from that world <laughs> and do something fun and, and something that my dad, mom didn't have a clue what I was doing, but it didn't matter. It was fun to me. So you started pursuing that uh, in studies and then what was getting a, a job after college like then? And, and what was your you know, first, first job? So right out of college, actually, right as I was about to graduate, I got a job offer from IBM. I had interviewed with a number of different places and and had interviewed up in North Carolina. I was in Florida, going to the University of Florida, and I was born in North Carolina, and I'd moved away when I was three, and I would wanted to get home in many ways. It seemed like a good place to be. It was a nice compromise from a weather standpoint. So I moved, so I was like, okay, got a job offer. This sounds like a fun thing. And so I came to work for IBM as my first job out of college. And I started in ISPF development. I actually started in PDF development and moved my first month, but they basically are the, you know, the same thing today. People don't know they started as different departments. So I started in Z, and when I started, it was the first year we didn't have to go off to programming school, because before me, they all went off to programming school in Poughkeepsie for some number of months to learn Assembler and all the things we do in IBM. I was lucky that when I started, I didn't have to go off to Poughkeepsie. We could do most of that in RTP. I did spend some time off at school, but not the first X number of months of my life. I, I had to learn Assembler. I had to learn our internal languages. I had to learn all of those things. But, you know, why not? It's another programming language. It's just another something to learn. And, and it was a, a good opportunity to learn the core of ZOS, to learn how things were done. And I had a good group of people, a good team, made a lot of good friends. And, and it was a good experience with lots of others around my age we all work together and uh, have many of them are still in IBM and uh, have done a number of different things in their career as well. That reminds me, I was interviewing actually uh, Matthew Cousins, one of the Z advocates, and he was telling me about the Master the Mainframe and the education programs they have. And like you said, many people don't realize, they think, oh, this is you know, some archaic thing and the cloud is, is the future, but really they're, they're such different tools. And I was surprised to hear how having some mainframe experience and savviness actually makes you very competitive in the, the, the marketplace. If you think about it, I wasn't joking when I said the world runs on Z. You can't get up in the morning without basically Z having done something for you almost, assuming you use a phone to get an alarm. 
the world, the backend systems of our world are sitting on these systems. So if you know something about it, if you understand something about it, that's an advantage. The other reason that it matters is there's not a lot new. Okay, quantum is new. I'll give you that. But in programming and in development and in software, there's not a lot that's really new. A lot of that was invented as we built Z. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these things people are learning, this, <laughs> this idea of cloud, some of us just kind of cringe because we go, well, wasn't that what we were doing with the shared operating system that we built Z for in the first place? You know, it's the, yeah, okay. We went from Z to client server where we were distributing things and now we're just taking the servers back into the sky that's back to Z. There, we just go in loops. And so if you learn something about Z and you learn something about the technology, you actually have a better footprint to understand technology, to understand where it's come from, and to understand some of the goodness and the badness that has come along the way. Having a better core is always better. And as some of the new developers I talk to, they like the complexities of Z. Now, not saying it's too complex, but it has a whole lot more. There's been a whole lot of work done into workload management and all sorts of areas that the baby boxes just don't have because they're small machines. And I know people don't like it when I call them baby boxes, but you know, there's a big server in the sky that's, that's a Z and then you get all the way down to the Intel boxes and they're, they're mostly, they're mostly one application boxes. You mostly run in an image, uh, a single application on Z, you run a hundred. So there's a perspective. Especially in this hybrid cloud paradigm, right? It's, it's all about the right tool for the right job. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I've, it's been explained to me is the, you know, the, the commodity cloud stuff is when you want to scale horizontal. I need to serve more web pages. I need to, you know, this sort of thing. Whereas when you have huge amounts of throughput or you have these, you know, really strict security or, or encryption, like you, or throughput and encryption, that's when you need Z, right? Because it, it, it can scale, uh, you know, vertically versus horizontally. It's the vertical versus horizontal, but it's also the guaranteed reliability of the system. In the distributed world, chaos engineering, all those things, things fail all the time. And they you work around the failures. And you'll get eventual consistency at, at some point in time. It's eventual, which actually means never, but we won't go there. Banking system, the Federal Reserve doesn't really allow you to have eventual consistency. It's guaranteed reliability. It's transactional integrity. The Z is great at high throughput transaction processing. Fast IO, optimized for that, highly secure, highly reliable. I wouldn't put a GUI on it. That belongs on your iPhone or whatever. So look at what you're doing and where it needs to be. The data, Z is a large data server, really good idea. It's secure, it's encrypted, it's got everything around it from a transactional reliability standpoint. All of those things, I've got a single source of truth. I, I need one single bank balance. 
So there's one place that the bank balance exists. So that's the kind of system we use Z for versus, you know, scaling out. I need to scale out because I don't actually care about whether or not I get all the response from every system. Uh, a Google search, okay, I don't care. If I send it to a whole bunch of machines and come back, I, it doesn't actually matter. I get a result, but it doesn't matter if it's exactly correct. I ask for my bank balance, it better be exactly correct. And if I take out money or give you money, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind if you give me credit twice. Yeah, no. So reality is I do care. There can only be one transaction and, and it really matters. And that's the stuff we run on ZOS. Now, reality is we also have Linux on Z and on, in that environment, you can scale up and scale out on a single machine. So I can run a whole bunch of Linux instances and if I need to be close to the data or I need to be close to something else, I can run a whole lot more in one environment than others. And so it does have, well, it actually has TPF too. So it's got multiple sides and multiple operating systems that run in it. I usually deal with the ZOS side, but it's got all those parts. But Things that need to be centralized, that I need to coordinate, that I need that, that reliability characteristics, those are sitting on the Z system. And the stuff that I need close to the consumer, I need close to the user, I want to get it closer to them and spread it all over the world, I'm going to put that in a cloud somewhere. My cloud, public cloud, whatever. And so the, there are different uses for the different systems. I want to burst, I'm going to burst into a cloud. So there are all sorts of different things, but using the system for what it should be used for is kind of the important thing. So you, you mentioned you started off at the um, ISPF, which what, what does ISPF stand for? <laughs> Interactive System Productivity Facility, but actually most people know it as ISPF. It's the menuing system for the ZOS environment mostly it's the tso manuring system and there are a few others but that's what most people know when you see that green screen for a, a z system if you remember those green screens that somebody says that's the old mainframe that's usually ispf okay so if that's where you started what was your your journey inside of ibm over over your career it actually was kind of fun in Early days, I, I started in ISPF, but I had done just enough in a number of different areas that I managed to get the responsibility for our user interface design. And I worked and built what we called the BIDG, so the Basic Interface Design Guide, which was IBM's user interface definition for systems like ZOS, IBM I, back then it was AS400 or System 36, System 38. But what was the user interface? What was the common user interface? And then I worked with OS2, and for those of you that don't remember OS2, OS2 was that other operating system that competed with Windows that was better but wasn't as adopted, so whatever. We have Windows now. But if you think about that, that user interface, I did a set of industry standards work. Control-C, Control-V, Control-X. It's my favorite thing. Apple had Apple, Command-C, Control, Apple, Command-C, Control, Command, C, X, and Z, and V. And IBM had Shift-Control-Insert. 
And Unix had, yeah, whatever, didn't matter. Through the standardization effort, we came up with one standard, Control-C, Control-V, Control-X. And so that's one of my most fun things that I managed to do when I was a kid. I did user interface for a while, uh, worked in the development for the user interface for OS2 as well, and, and did work in that. And then human factors studies and human factors and human uh, user-centered design for a while. Then I decided to do something totally different, and I actually moved to IBM sales and distribution. And I worked with our user groups for a, a few years, five, and owned IBM's worldwide requirements process. So I was responsible for the way that every single client submitted a requirement to IBM. It came through the system, and that was one of my jobs and responsibilities. And it it got me an opportunity to spend a lot of time with clients, client-facing for those years, learning more about our clients, developing relationships and, and understanding of how our client systems worked, and then moved on to services, and yeah, and then we keep going. That's so interesting, though, to have such a, a perspective. I'm imagining, too, it's uh, be, especially in enterprise world where, you know, everything is, is so mission-critical. I think being able to empathize with the other, you know, folks on your own team, but also at the client, this sounds, it sounds really interesting. I feel like I'm taking notes here. I, I should do some of this as well. It was, it was, user group relations was my fun job. And as some people say, that was my, my time having fun. I did learn a lot. I actually supported the user groups from an IT perspective. So I provided their note servers. I provided their systems. I provided all their IT. It was fun it gave me an opportunity to do something different. When I came back out of SND, back into the labs, I came back into services. And so I spent five years in Tivoli services. And it was an opportunity to not only having work with the clients, now I was responsible for deploying software with the clients. And I got my Y2K project. I, I was responsible for helping get a Y2K project back on track because for some reason Y2K wasn't moving and everything had to be done and the project was a year behind and so we had to fix that. So I spent a significant amount of time in services working on that and then a number of other systems management related uh, management monitoring solutions I moved in, back into IBM development in order to actually get my STSM. I wanted in IBM to be an STSM, a senior technical staff member. And in order to do that, I had to come back to development. And I, had a, I was responsible for building our SOA management strategy and worked across IBM again to do that and, and build a set of products. And, and then I've worked in... Um, services. I'd worked in systems management. I'd worked in Z. I'd done lots of different things. And I got a phone call that basically said, hey, how about come to IBM's rational group, rational division, and do application development tooling. So I decided why not have some more fun? And I moved over to development tooling. And it, it was a strange opportunity they needed to take this development tooling that had been designed and built for the distributed world and make it work for Z and I. And they had this job request and they wanted people who knew Z and knew IBM I and, and whatever. And the person who called me said, so who else on the planet knows Z and I? 
and has been an IB and you know and has this kind of experience and I went okay fine so I had some fun doing that and I've been in application development area now or in and around Z since well that's fantastic to hear because you know part of what we want to do with this origin story series is you know let developers know what a career inside the enterprise could be like because from the outside it it you know it seems a little bit like a, a black box or maybe folks are just not even aware of it because you know IBM is not really since you know selling laptops a, a consumer product company so there's a little bit of a, a mystery of like who, who are they what do they do there but you know my own experience of being at IBM five years I've probably had you know sort of two roles, but maybe three kind of roles. And it's really interesting to be able to get a new job without getting a new job and to try things. And also, I love the part of, you know, the same way that we connected and I'm able to have this conversation, you start reaching out and it's, you have this inherent network that you don't, you don't even know is there, but you reach out and you have all kinds of experts that will talk to you. It's, it's amazing. It, it is the only company, as I say, that I could have done all of the different jobs that I've done without ever quitting. I've never had to change a company, but I have literally done just about every job there is in software development, IT services, kind of, I've never been a manager, <laughs> please, no, I, I'm not a lawyer, I've not been in finance, so those things, obviously, I haven't done, but from a software development standpoint, testing, development, services, running, I've done all of those things, and I've had that opportunity in IBM because we are so big. I have worked across this company. I've lived with how many different, I've lived through how many different CIOs, CEOs, CEOs, chairman of the board. I started in Acres days. So I've lived through a whole bunch of the transitions, but I never had to quit. I never had to worry about getting a new job. I had to interview for a few, but it was all within the same company. There's no transition from that standpoint. It really does give you the opportunity to see just about everything. And I, I haven't done firmware, but we have firmware development. We have hardware development. We have all sorts of things that when you get, when you get bored or tired, you just go find another job in IBM. And that's what I've always done when I get to the point where I'm not learning in the job I'm in. I'm going to go find another job. And, and IBM's very good about that, helping me or letting me, depending on what it is, get that next opportunity so that I can keep having fun. Because, I mean, I started in this career because IT computers were fun. And if you're enjoying it, you're doing better. You're going to do better. And the company's going to do better. You're, you're excited about coming to work every day. And if you're excited, you're going to do better. And having an opportunity to do all sorts of things is, is always what I like to do. And I'll just jump. I'll go somewhere else. And every now and then when I've said it to my managers, they haven't been as thrilled, though they've always let me because they know I had an executive once. Everybody was arguing, you can't leave. We need you. We need you. And I talked to the executive and he's like, yeah, you just said you're bored. You're not. No. Time. Go. Yep. Go to your next opportunity because you'll be the best that you can be there, not here. So this all, you know, in, in doing my research before this call, I noticed uh, in one of your, your bios, it said something about 
DevOps systems culture. And I can see how you're really, you are positioned very well having worked in so many of these different roles, again, to really understand and empathize. And I would like to actually, you know, maybe you could expound a little bit on like, you, you touched on it before, but DevOps like culture. Yeah, actually DevOps is culture. And one of the things that is hardest for people to do is change their culture. Changing the culture of a company, changing the culture of the way you work. But DevOps requires this idea of breaking down those silos and and getting people to accept that automation is a good thing, that we're going to automate all the stuff that we can automate, and we're going to focus on using our brains for things that our brains should be used for. And we're going to remove those silos. We're going to have people working together. And this idea of bringing people together and changing the culture to having people work together is what I do most of the time when I'm talking to clients. How do we bring them together? And for me, it's been especially interesting. Since I spent all those years in systems management, I know a lot of our companies from an operations standpoint. So I know the ops side. And working in the rational side, I learned about a lot about the dev side. And so I know these people on the development side, and I know these people on the ops side, and I've been known to be the one to introduce the two of them, which is a little scary when I'm introducing them in their own company, but that's okay. It's a good thing for them to meet, for them to understand each other and start to understand each other's worlds. One of the problems we have in large enterprises is those walls have gotten really thick and really spread out. And people have said for legal reasons, for separation of duties, for all sorts of things, we have to do this. Well, yes, you need separation of duties and and yes, you need audit, but you don't need brick walls. You don't need this separation. You need the right controls in place. There are all sorts of things you can do, but that cultural change is critical. Bringing the organization together to deliver that business value and to break down this difference. One of the biggest problems we have is this distributed Z problem. I mean, the distributed guys don't talk to the Z guys and the Z guys don't talk to the distributed guys because the distributed guys, sorry, think they know everything. And the Z guys know they know everything. Okay, that's not fair. The Z guys know how things were done and why they were done. Not that they know everything, but they've got the history. They actually understand the core of the business. And a lot of the distributed guys, very good development, new development practices, all sorts of things, but don't necessarily have that background in the business itself. And if we could get these people to work together and collaborate, then we get much more value. And once we start getting these guys talking the experience is very different because they they can talk as long as they don't get on their whatever and decide neither side understands each other. As long as they're willing to talk, you really can help. And as soon as we break down those silos and actually get these people working together, then delivery is a whole lot faster. It's a whole lot better. It's higher quality because we can learn from each other. We can learn to do better. Cloud native development, it's bringing new tools, modern capability into the Z world that stayed 
the development processes stayed stagnant. Not the machine, not the applications, but the processes stayed stagnant. Getting these together to let people learn together is, is this cultural change. It's this, this core of this change that we need to do. I mean, we've had to do it in IBM. Everybody has to do it. It's something that, that breaking down those silos, getting people to work together, getting people to understand each other, just being able to talk together, it's always a good thing. What comes to mind uh, hearing uh, you say that is, you know, maybe these things, you know, we weren't necessarily good at doing them because they weren't really as necessary before, right? If you were building a, a, a car and you had everything subcontracted out, you know, in, in a certain way, you didn't really need to collaborate. But now with the need for modernization and the rate of, of change that's happening and, and the need to adopt these technologies, it, it seems essential. And, and then the other thing that comes to mind that's a, a challenge really for the enterprise too is, you know, startup can start from scratch. They don't have anything to lose. They can take a lot of risk. But if, if like you're saying, you're, you know, you're running billions of dollars of, you know, credit card transactions or health records or things that are, are mission, mission critical, you've got to be able to adopt the new and change, but without ever dropping the ball. It's, it's a very difficult uh, challenge technically and, and culturally. Yeah, it is a huge cultural challenge and it is, it is something we have to deal with. One of the things, and, and you bring it up, the, the startups get to start with nothing. They, they, they've got a clean slate so they can build everything up. And everybody says that's wonderful. But if we take a step back and we look these systems that are so tied to their legacy systems that many people say are weighting them down or slowing them down, if they actually take a look at those systems, they have real business value. If someone with these systems, if these large financial institutions or healthcare or insurance or any one of the institutions looks at what they have and does a little bit of work, they can be in a new business in no time flat, and they're already passing all of the audits. They already pass the Fed Reserve work. They already pass the healthcare regulations. They already are doing those things. And so these startups that have to all of a sudden figure out how to deal with all this stuff, they don't have to worry about it. They've already got all that understanding. It's this process of, of learning to use what they have and evolve it to bring it faster into the system. And, and if we all work together, it, I'm, I'm of the age of the generation of the Z guys who sit there and go, we've always done it this way. We can't change. And I'm having a conversation with somebody right now, basically about this topic and and it, it brings up something that I, I love to say. You're right. We've always done it this way. Do you have a cell phone? Well, of course. Who doesn't have a cell phone, right? Well, last time I checked, the wall phone that was, you know, that thing that was attached to the wall that you had home phone service, it actually still works. But you don't use it. You have a cell phone. So why are you telling me everything new is bad? It's not. It's let's look at the look for the good. 
And I'm not saying we need to throw away all the processes around Z. There are lots of things that we've done on Z that bring huge value. The fact that it's a, a multi-tenant system, the fact that I've got a workload manager, the fact that I can deploy incrementally into the system whenever I want to actually, all of those are good things. The fact that I use a tool that nobody in his right mind should want to use for development. Sorry, I know ISPF edit is pretty good, but it's only ISPF edit. Let me, give me the pictures. Give me the visualization. Give me the, the visual debug. Give me the application understanding. Give me the drawings. Let me see two things side by side. Okay, I know I can do that too, but it's really hard. So let's learn, let's take the goodness and let's bring it into the system. And one of the things that always annoys me is automated testing. And I know when I started in the company, we knew automated testing was a good thing and something happened. And I think everybody forgot that automated testing was a good thing and it, and it came back and it's coming back, but it's really a good thing. The more I can do automated testing, the better off, the faster I can go. And we don't need thousands of people running lots of manual tests. We need automated testing that can validate the function much faster. There are a lot of those kinds of things that they were good back then, we forgot. We need to re-remember. And, and yes, it's changed, but everybody needs to change at some point in time. And how can you not be bored by now by doing the exact same thing for the last 30 years? And something you mentioned earlier, which I think uh, ties in here too, is you know, as long as there's been technology, there's been people who have had, you know, fear of the technology replacing the human. And obviously that's true for some jobs, but in reality, if, if we handle this well and we implement it well, we can, you know, I think in robotics, they say dull, dirty, and dangerous are the, the jobs that should be automated. So the, if we do it well and, and we handle it well, we, we can actually empower people to do more interesting things and to spend their time being innovative and, and learning that new thing and being on the cutting edge versus being in the, like running manually running tests or not having tests. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not having tests. I, I think the, the key in automation is understanding that we aren't automating out jobs. We are automating out those manual tasks you hate to do anyway. I haven't found anybody who loves to run that update for the database on 17 different systems. Never. Nobody likes to do that kind of manual test. Nobody likes to go to a bunch of machines and install the same thing. Everybody wants some way of doing that faster. We need to take that into the development process and think about what are all those things that I hate to do anyway that an automation task could do better. But we have to think about that right in the fact that I'm still writing the automation. It's still code. And last time I checked, code needs to be maintained. So just because I wrote it once doesn't mean it's there forever. I still have to maintain. I still have to update. I still have to deal with it. But I'm not having to do the same thing a thousand times. I'm doing the automation and then I'm updating the automation. We're, I, I don't I don't know many companies. I mean, there's always an exception to the rule, but I don't know companies who are getting rid of people when they're changing to automated testing. They're changing the purpose. 
people are doing automated testing and others, I know in one case, they sent a bunch of testers back to the business where they belonged. They, they kept having to pull them from the business to do this testing and then they go back to their day job. Well, now they don't have to pull them away from their day job. They get to do their day job. It's those kinds of things we need to focus on, not the we're trying to get rid of jobs because we'll never get rid of jobs, uh, mostly. There are always exceptions to that. But if we look at system automation, if we look at running a system more efficiently, just because I do lights out operations doesn't mean I don't need somebody who knows how to run the system. I still have to have that knowledge because the automation is only as good as its repeatable task. When something happens that hasn't happened before, which last time I checked, that happens all the time in technology. You have something to go figure out, learn, and now deal with. So there's still, it's not people's jobs don't go away. People's jobs change. And from a developer standpoint, I've always said, I hate, well, sometimes I love to test because I love finding the defects. But I don't love to test in the way of just running a bunch of manual tests. So if you can, if we can automate that process, then I get to do the fun testing. I get to do the find the bug, try to break it mode. Those are the kinds of things, let, let developers focus on the things they, they like to do and that are fun and that grow and they learn and the manual tasks, the things that should just be automatable get automated. I appreciate uh, you taking us on this journey uh, through your career. And my question for you now, it's, it's a bit of a multiple choice question, but first part would be, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? The second one would be, do you have any uh, sort of advice or words of wisdom to our listeners? And I guess the third part would be, or the, the, the third option here would be, you know, we, we followed this journey through to the present day and, and, and what's going on now and, and, and your involvement with, you know, dev security ops. Where do we go from here? So th- three choices. I think there's, there's one topic in my career that I think is worth bringing up. And it, it's um, one of the things when I started in IBM and, and IBM is a very diverse company. And I think in today's world, it's probably worth talking about. IBM is a very diverse company and they've always been a strong supporter of diversity and inclusion and the be equal saying of IBM. They, it's important and we do mean it and we do work with a number of things, but I am a female and I did grow up through the technology world of femaleness and I don't go through what a lot of other people go through. I got that. But as a female, I am still in IBM and everywhere else a minority. And we need to think about this as inclusion matters. I get to see it from a different perspective. I get to see it from the female perspective, but it, it's still there. Minorities are important. It is important that we do not, we do not try to make, our, make the world look like us. We need to make sure we make the world look like lots of different people. And I think actually by being an IBM, I've been lucky. I mean, I've, I've had some challenges, but working in IT, I've been in plenty of companies and in plenty of meetings where I'm the only female anywhere near which isn't right. I've been in plenty of rooms where 
I'm the only female and there are no minorities. It, it isn't right. It, it is wrong. We need to be supportive and we need to be supportive of everyone coming into this industry because we do better by having a diverse workforce. We do better by having diversity and development and software engineering is the one field that I don't care what your background is. It's a mental state. It's the way you think. If you have a logical brain, there are plenty of developers that never went to college that were really genius. They're, they're really, it, it's not, it's a different kind of skill. It takes a logical brain. It takes a way of thinking. And it's an opportunity for lots of people. And it's an opportunity that you can do on your own or in a large company. You can work in all sorts of different ways. And so I think development, development skill, being a developer, learning about IT, whether or not you're building web pages or applications or whatever you're building, this is a great thing to do. And if you're in high school, if you're in middle school, learning how to do development. The master the mainframe competition is just one way and that gets you exposure to a Z, but just in general, the hackathons, the things that are going on, we need to make sure we're including everybody and that we are bringing this to the world so that it's an opportunity for everyone. And I know everybody's not going to be a developer, not saying everybody's going to be a developer. It does take a mentality, but that's a that's a mentality. It's not a race. It's not a sex. It's not a, any of those other things. We need to consider everyone. And, and I think, I mean, that's something I've, I've worked on through my career in IBM. I work with uh, women in technology in IBM. I work with uh, robotics programs in FIRST Robotics. I've done numbers of different things. And I think the inclusion, the growing of the community is a very important aspect that I think is something that we shouldn't forget. Well, that's that's heartening to hear, especially in the, the trying times that we uh, live today. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's uh, I feel like I have a lucky job. It's like my personal conference getting to talk to, to folks like you who are, who are experts and willing to share. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.